Hello, my friends. You're listening to Repent and Believe podcast with Cynthia Smalls of Back to God Ministries. Welcome, my friends. Here we talk and teach the message of Jesus Christ, the only one who can claim the title of Savior of the world. We also discuss all things repentance and belief in Jesus Christ and how all these things tie into living a lifestyle where our deeds are manifested and fast and God so that we may be molded by the Father into vessels to be used for His glory. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's get started. Hey everyone, before we get started, I'd like to say thank you for tuning in. And if you enjoy my podcast, please share download, leave me a message or comment. Thanks guys. Hello everyone. This is Cynthia Smalls with Back to God Ministries. How's everyone doing today? I pray that all is well in your lives, that you are walking by faith and not by sight. You, my friend, are to never give up on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, folks, we are going to be looking at the fact that Christ Jesus tells us to look for him. He says, look for me. Be ready. I'm coming soon. Amen. The other day, the Lord has sat me down to deal with some corrective issues. And the takeaway from that was that we must be ready, that we must be prepared to meet him. He told me to look for him. So what does that look like? Because if you have truly, sincerely repented of your sins, and you are born again, you are spirit-filled and spirit-led, then you must be prepared to meet the bridegroom. So today, we are going to be looking at some parables about being ready and staying ready. So... In my notes, after I was speaking with the Lord, actually, he was speaking to me. (laughs) I ain't going to get into it. Folks, listen, I am totally transparent on this podcast, right? None of us, including me, got this in the bag. And what I love, love, love about our good shepherd is that he really, truly cares about his sheep. So, it doesn't have to be something so dramatic in your life, but just that he takes care in the way that you are going. Because, folks, let's be honest. The fact that we don't know the end from the beginning, and for the most part, apart from 
his prophets, we don't know the future like he does. And so in whatever we are doing, the fact that he knows where this will lead to, and you may not think it's not, quote unquote, all that serious, it's serious to him. He cares for us. And just like a sheep that's following the shepherd, that sheep can get distracted by little things. It can be a butterfly. It can be a, a bird that the sheep was following the shepherd, but then they happen to look to the right and see something that catch their eye, and it's so beautiful. And they, and they just want to go and look at it. And next thing you know, the shepherd and the rest of the sheep are like five to ten miles ahead, and they still looking at this one butterfly. So, right, Holy Spirit, what does the shepherd has to do? Stop what he's doing, backtrack, and go get his distracted sheep. And he may need to rattle them on the nose and be like, stop getting distracted. This little thing can take you and pull you from me. I'm going to need you to pay attention, stay focused, and follow me. So, that was the gist of what the Lord was dealing with me on. And so, the whole takeaway of that was that we must be ready because at the end of the day it is all about being ready and in the meantime in between time we are to be good stewards stewards over our time making the most of every opportunity to be made available for the father to work in Christ's harvest that is what we are called to do. We are ambassadors. We are messengers and servants to the Lord Jesus Christ. So whenever and wherever he calls us to be stationed at, we must be able to hear the command, mount up soldier. I need you to go here. I need you to do this. Go over there. Speak to this person. So if we are being so distracted by all of the distractions in this world, even in the Christian community, because let me tell you what the Lord was telling me about the quote unquote Christian community a lot of them are not his sheep. They think they are without getting into all of what he told me. Not everyone who say they are Christians coming in Jesus name to do kingdom work are not his sheep. 
that is why he said to follow him. We have a lot of wolves wolves in sheep's clothing that sound like the real deal. They come in bringing all of this quote-unquote Christian news about who's doing what, who's falling, who's apostate, naming names. It's one thing to call out corruption. And if you are led by the Lord to name names, then that's what we do. But just but just to have a social media platform that this is all you do. And as you listen to them from time to time, the Lord is right. They do have darkness in them. Because again, the Bible tells us we are to mark and avoid those who causes who cause divisions, who, who are evil and teach false doctrine by all means. It's a fine line to marking and avoiding false teachers. It's a whole nother thing when you slander. Because what if that person truly repents? They will go back on the internet and see all of this slander, all of this ill will among the brethren. Again, let me be clear. We are to call out corruption in the body of Christ. Absolutely. Fine line. Fine line. When when you when you are not coming from a place of rebuke and correction but really of gossip of hot topics if you will if you come in from a place of mocking someone's downfall that they have fallen from grace you better be careful the Lord ain't playing he ain't playing with us mocking the destruction of our enemies and the brethren. So, with all that being said, the takeaway, like I was saying, we must be ready, we must be prepared, and we must look for him. So, what does that really look like? Well, let us go to a few scriptures because today, I don't know if I've already mentioned this, but we are going to be taking a look at parables in the Gospels about being prepared and, and being at the ready. Because, folks, let me tell you, Christ is coming back sooner than we first believed. Um, 1 Thessalonians 1.10 tells us, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. Amen. Jude one twenty one. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously 
for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Amen. Romans 8.23 was talking about waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Amen. Second Peter 3.13 But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Amen. Luke 12.36 Be like men. No, Luke 12.35 first. Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Amen. Matthew. No, I'm going to save Matthew 25 for a little later. Revelation 19, 7. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him for, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Amen. So, uh, Luke seventeen twenty. Now having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he replied, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed or with, or with a visible display, nor will people say, Look, here it is, or there it is, for the kingdom of God is among you because of my presence. Amen. So, beloved, question on the floor. Are you ready to meet the living God? Because if not, we got some serious work that needs to be done. Let us pray. Father, in the name of Christ Jesus, hallowed be thy holy name. Father, we are eagerly awaiting the soon return of the Messiah. Father, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We give you thanks today through our Lord. Thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for our salvation. May we live lives in complete appreciation for what you have done for us. We were filthy, wretched, lying sinners on our way to a burning hell. But you, in your love, has sent us a Savior. That through his atoning sacrifice, we can be reconciled back to you and have right standing. The precious blood of Jesus Christ washed away our sins. He became a sin offering, laying down his life for the people. That whoever, whosoever 
believes in him as personal Lord and Savior will not perish, but have everlasting life. He has set us free from the control and dominance of sin. Thank you, Father. Over here in Revelation 1-7, this is all about the second coming. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Hebrews 9.28 So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Amen. John 14.3 And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Amen. Glory be to God. Matthew 24, 30. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Amen. And lastly, Father Titus 2.13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we are so eagerly waiting for Christ Jesus. It's not even funny. Father, help us this day. Strengthen us to remain resilient and diligent. May we have your grace to be able to endure any and all circumstances that comes our way as we are waiting for our bridegroom. May we be found not wanting when he returns. May he find a bride that has fully prepared herself to meet her bridegroom so that, <clears throat> so that she may be joined to him for forever and ever, everlasting. Have mercy on us, Father. I ask for wisdom, discernment, and clarity to teach today's lesson by your grace. Give me the words to speak. <clears throat> May the Holy Spirit move on me. Open up my mind to understand the deep things of your word. And I ask these things, Father, in the precious, matchless, mighty name 
of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Even so come Lord. Amen. All right, folks. So, like I said, we are going to be looking at a number of parables in the Gospels that Jesus tells us to be ready for him, to look for him. In the book of Luke, chapter 12, starting in verse 35, it exhorts us to be ready, to be in readiness. We're going to look at verses 35 to 48 in the Amplified. It's, it tells us to be dressed and ready for active service and keep your lamps continuously burning. Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast, so that when he comes and knocks, they may immediately open the door for him. Blessed, happy, prosperous to be admired are those servants whom the master finds awake and watching when he arrives. I assure you and most solemnly say to you, he will prepare himself to serve and will have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. Whether he comes, comes in the second watch before midnight or even in the third after midnight and finds them so prepared and ready, Blessed are those servants. Amen. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time the thief was coming, he would have been awake and alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. You too be continually ready. Because the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Verse 41. Peter said, Lord, are you addressing this parable to us disciples or to everyone else as well? And then we get into the parable of the faithful steward. Verse th uh, Ah, verse 42, the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise steward of the estate whom his master will put in charge over his household to give his servants their portion of food at the proper time. Blessed, happy, prosperous to be admired is that servant whom his master finds so doing when he arrives. Amen. Folks, as Christ's servants, servants, we must be about the Father's business, doing the work he calls us to do when Jesus returns. This is not the time to be off at the clubs, stuck in sin somewhere, 
still sleeping around, still smoking and, and using drugs, drinking to, to get drunk, calling yourself a follower of Jesus, thinking that just because he has delayed his return, that you will have time to clean up before he returns. He just told us he is coming at a time when we least expect it. That is why he is telling us through these parables that we must be at the ready. Not just sitting back twiddling our thumbs, but actually at work. Keeping one eye on the business and another eye on his coming because his soon return is our priority. Yes, we got stuff to do in life. Yes, we got families, we got jobs, we have ministries. There's much that will keep us preoccupied. But don't even let ministry keep you so busy you forget that the Lord is coming. We can't allow the cares of our lives and ministries detract us from our readiness. Us always being mindful that Christ is coming. We will all be judged by what we have done. So all the good works that we are doing, even that can distract us where we may forget that even though we even though we are doing these good works, sometimes we just get so bogged down in it that it becomes a job. It becomes routine. You know you love Jesus because this is why you are doing it. But just like with anything else, everything comes with a problem that needs to be solved. That's what I'm trying to say. The fact that Christ told us in this world we are going to have trouble. So we already know even when we are about doing good, there is administration that comes along with being a servant. That means there may be material you have to get printed and written up. Websites need to be um, created. Uh, staff, home life. Just being busy, busy, busy. It's not that you are in willful, blatant sin, but we can get easily distracted. And this is what the Lord was talking about, these little foxes that can destroy the vine. Next thing you know, Jesus is cracking open up that sky and you are in conflict about something either on the job, in your home, something going on with your ministry that's driving you crazy, and now you're off in the flesh. Mm-hmm. It can happen 
just like that. So, back over here to the parable of the faithful steward, uh, verse 44. I assure you and most solemnly say to you, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But if that servant, here we go, says in his heart, my master is taking his time and coming and begins to beat the servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at, a, and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. Amen. And we know that to be hell, folks. And that servant, verse 47, where we at? Luke 12. And that servant who knew his master's will, who, who knew it, and yet did not get ready or, or act in accord with his will. See? See? This is talking about a born-again believer who knows Jesus' will. And yet. And yet. Because see, it's something altogether different when the person don't know his will but still be cutting up. Well, they're going to get a punishment. How much greater would will that punishment be for the one who knows the Lord's will, and yet you over here cutting up. And that servant who knew his master's will and yet did not get ready or act in, a, in accord with his will will be beaten with many lashes of the whip. But the one who did not know it and did things, things worthy of a beating will receive only a few lashes. So, folks, that tells us there are different degrees of punishment in hell. Yeah, because from everyone to whom much has been given, much will be required. And to whom, and to whom they entrusted much of him, they will ask all the more. Amen. So, listen. Those of us who carry this great gospel, who knows the will of God and his son, and yet be in blatant, willful, settled, deliberate sin, you're going to get it worse because you knew what the commands were. That's why, right, Holy Spirit, 2 Peter 2 down near in verses like 18 to 22, talks about how it would be better if we had never known the way to righteousness. Then having been born again, tasted the goodness of the word of God, having been filled with the Holy Spirit, and for you or me to get ourselves tangled up all over again and enslaved by sin. 
it goes on to say how it would be better if you had never known. Uh-huh. Why? Think about what Luke just said about the one who knew the Lord's will versus the one who didn't know his will they deserve hell for how they live. Well, how much more so does the one who knew his will, how much more severe will be his punishment? That's why back over here to Second Peter, it would be better if you had never known the way to righteousness than to have known it. Mm-mm-mm. You will be better off because it tells us how you will be worse off than before. Because think about it. What before looked like. You were a sinner on your way to a burning hell. And that was bad. So you mean tell me. Is once I've come to Christ. And then I start cutting up and go back out there into the world. It will be worse off for me than before. Because before was pretty bad. I was on my way to hell. See. This is why we must be ready. Folks, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, well, he is coming back for his bride and he's coming to mete out his righteous judgment against his enemies. All those who have rejected him and his gospel. First, no, Second Thessalonians 1, 8 through 9 is telling us that when Christ returns with his angels in flaming fire, he will return with his angels taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel. Folks, these are they who will go into eternal punishment. That is why it is all the more that we are ready and prepared to get up out of time and enter eternity with our Lord and Savior to be with him forever and ever. The Bible tells us of the second coming. It is foretold in the Gospels. If we, where are we? In the book of Luke, right? If we come over here to chapter 17, starting in verse 22 to 37, okay? Then he said to his disciples, the time will come when you will long to see even one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. They will say to you, look, the Messiah is there, or look, he is here. Do not go away to see him, and do not run after them. For just like the lightning when it flashes, out of one part of the sky gives light to the other part of the sky, so visible will the Son of Man be in his day. So folks, amen to that. I don't know what all of these pre-tribbers 
are going to do because they believe that the church is going to be raptured out of here in secret. Coming on the heels of the satanic left behind series books and movies and DVDs and what have you. That is going to be one big secret that the world is going to suddenly be departed of about, I don't know, 2 billion Christians. Cars will be left unattended, crashing. Airplanes will be falling out of the sky because the pilot was a Christian and got raptured up. And so there's going to be a lot of instant destruction and people in the news media are going to be so perplexed that suddenly, without warning, that masses amount of people have suddenly left the earth. That's not how the rapture, okay? That's Hollywood. That's Hollywood's and Satan's account of what it would be like when Christ returns from for his church. Well, the Bible just told us, just like lightning, that cracks open from one end of the sky and you can see it on the other end. Likewise, every eye will see Jesus in the sky when he comes for his church. It says, right, verse 25 of Luke 17, but first, okay, he must suffer many things and be repudiated and rejected and considered unfit to be the Messiah by this unbelieving generation. And just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the time of the second coming of the Son of Man. And what were the people doing back in Lot's day? Well, just like they are doing today. He says the people were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying. Folks, these people just like today ain't thinking about Christ's return. They wasn't thinking about how judgment is right around the corner. And likewise, people are still doing the same thing. That's why he said when he returns, it'll be just like in those days. The people were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage. They were indifferent to God until the day that Noah, yep, that Noah went into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. And then he says in verse 28, it was the same as it was in the days of Lot. Here we go. People were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building, carrying on business as usual without regard for their sins. Amen. And this, just like it was in the days of Noah, how people went about their daily lives being indifferent to God. Do you know what? Now, I didn't ask her to tell you. I'm going to tell you what indifferent means. Okay. Having no particular 
interest or sympathy. They are unconcerned. They are unconcerned about the fact that Jesus is on his way back. Just like it was in Noah's day, Noah was preaching them righteousness, telling them flood coming. But for the fact at that time, up until that time, it had never rained from the sky. So the people were like, what you talking about? And the fact that it took him over a hundred years to build the ark. So generation after generation came and went. And he was still being about what God has told him to do. And then eventually the flood came. And so the Lord was saying, just like now, I mean, just like then, people are now being indifferent. They are uncaring about the fact that Jesus is coming. They are casually going about their lives. They are nonchalant. They are uninvolved with God and the things of God. Ain't nobody thinking about the gospel. Ain't nobody thinking about coming to Christ. And when they hear the gospel being preached to them, they walk right on by as if you are invisible. They they could care less. They are mindless. They are oblivious to. They are cavalier. They are unimpressed. They are dismissive. Do we dare say they are bored by the gospel? They are unmoved, unresponsive. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah, yeah, well, what were we talking about? Bright. I tell you, these rabbit holes I be going down. So, right, getting back over here to Luke 17. Because Jesus was saying, it was, in verse 28, it was the same as it was in the days of Lot. People were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building, carrying on business as usual without regard for their sins. But... On the very day that Lot left Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone, which is burning sulfur, which is going to be in that lake of fire, folks. Rained down fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Jesus says in verse 30, it will be just the same. Just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. So, people can go on about their lives being indifferent. That judgment is coming. Everybody's in sin. Everyone got the mentality of live and let live. I won't judge you for your sins. Don't judge me for mine. What you do May not float my boat, but if it floats yours, who am I to say anything? I got, I got my own problems to contend with. So if you don't judge me, I won't judge you. And we can live in this kumbaya knowing, cause they know that judgment is coming and they, 
and they become so disinterested. It's like, don't you even care that Christ is coming in flaming fire? And they're like, no, that don't affect me one way or the other. Okay, well, just like the people in Noah's day when the flood came, Oh, now they want to listen to what Noah had to say, banging on the door of the ark, trying to get in. Oh, now they want to hear what Noah had to say. And I'm quite sure just like in Sodom and Gomorrah with all of that nasty, unnatural sodomy was that was going on. I'm quite sure when it started raining, burning sulfur. Oh, now they want to hear what the man of righteousness has to say. But Lot and his family wasn't there. And his wife, who I think I read was uh, born and raised in Sodom. And so she really didn't want to leave. That's the only place she has ever known, most likely ever lived. And so the angels told them, don't look back. But she looked back in longing at what she was leaving. And what happened? Pillar of salt. So he says it will be just the same on the day that the son of man is revealed. On that day, whoever is on the housetop, excuse me, with his belongings in the house, my throat must not come down and go inside to take them out and likewise whoever is in the field must not turn back remember what happened to lot's wife amen that's verse 33 i mean verse 32 remember okay what happened to lot's wife when she looked back who listen the lord is saying in the next verse Whoever seeks to save his life will eventually lose it through death. And whoever loses his life in this world will keep it from the consequences of sin and separation from God. Amen. I tell you, listen, listen to what he's saying in verse 34. See, this is why we got to stay ready. I tell you, on that night, apparently it's going to be at night. No, well, that's what it says. I tell you, on that night, when Messiah comes again, there will be two sleeping in one bed. The one, the the non-believer, will be taken away in judgment. And the other, the believer, will be left. There will be two women grinding at the mill together. The one, the non-believer, will be taken away in judgment. And the other, the believer, will be left. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other will be left. And they asked him, Lord, we're Lord, he answered. Where the corpse is, there the vultures will be gathered. Amen. Folks, listen, this this is so not a game. This is so not a game. This is not the hour 
to be running around after these quote-unquote pastors in these apostate churches, following them, listening to them as they beat you in the head with traditions of men and commandments of men, teaching not sound doctrine, but what will tickle your ear in order for you to cough up money because, folks, we, we can't get around this. There are wolves in sheep's clothing heading up these apostate churches, pretending to be the true church. They tell you, come and join my church because that's what it is. It is theirs. It is not Christ Jesus. Christ will not be divided. So I don't know what all of these denominational and non-denominational churches are going to do on judgment day. Christ never intended for his body, his true ecclesia to be separated, to be fractured, to have a sect over here, a sect over there. Somebody's church is called Baptist. And then we got Pentecostals, and then we got Lutherans, and then we got Catholics. We got all these different factions. That's why Paul said, don't call, no, 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 no. He said for us not to promote the schism because what was going on in the first century church down at, at Chloe's house was that many people, people, were saying, I belong, no, I follow Apollos. I follow Peter. I follow Paul. And Paul was like, did any one of us died for you? He was telling them, don't do that. Don't break yourself off into some allegiance with a mere mortal. And then he was saying that, Christ is not divided. So why are you dividing yourselves? I belong to this church. Well, well, I belong to this church. My pastor is so-and-so. My, my bishop, here we go, my bishop is so-and-so. When Christ told us, don't do that. Don't call anyone your teacher and don't call yourselves teachers. He said, we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. These men and women of corrupt minds are not abiding in Jesus Christ. When they take the office of any one of those five ministerial gifts that Christ gave to the body and turn around to to gain respect of the people now they want to be called pastor with a capital p they want to be called apostles and bishops and teachers and preachers jesus is like what y'all doing these are offices of a pastor this is the office of an evangelist. This is the office 
of a teacher. He did not say to to take those functions because it's a function of administration as some title seeking respect and worship. We are not to do that, but every every man of God is a pastor. Okay, that that may be true, but Jesus did not tell them to call themselves that. They are operating in the gift that was graciously bestowed upon them in the office of a pastor. Not that they take that office, capitalize it, heap it upon the 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 front of their names because see now they want respect. Anybody that has a title wants respect for the title they have and you must and will respect them because he is the pastor. And so because of vainglory, they get themselves all puffed up in their own minds that they are the grand pooba and that you must respect them and you must call them pastor and you must call their wives first lady. All of these titles for what? Everybody wants to be first. That name first lady alone tells you just how demonic it is. No one should put themselves put themselves above God's children. We are all Jesus. Listen, if you call yourself a pastor, okay, I'm talking to all church leaders that are listening to this podcast. I'm telling you what the word of the Lord says. If you put that title of pastor, bishop, evangelist, prophet, teacher, apostle, in front of your name, you are not abiding in Christ Jesus. And I don't care how many missions you have created. I don't care that you have outreach. I don't care that you are preaching the gospel. You are not abiding in Christ. You are apostate. You're not even following and adhering to a basic command that he has given all of us. We are not to call anyone teacher. And don't call yourselves that either. We are all brothers and sisters. So if you are facilitating, because that's what a pastor really does. He is a facilitator of that fellowship. If you take on a title, garning, 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 garning to garner, respect You are apostate and you need to repent. Otherwise, when Christ comes, you will be the ones he say, I never knew you. With all of your good works, all all of your casting out of demons, all of your laying hands on the sick and prophesying. You the ones that got that big old placard on your desk, on the door, on the building. 
highlighting and pulling, usurping worship and respect from God's children. Wanting them to call you pastor, prophet, prophetess, bishop. Uh Uh-uh. Nope. You are promoting the schism. You have already set a tone of you is high and lifted up amongst God's people. You know more. You should be rightly worshipped and praised because you got some of these pastors running around here having all of these anniversary parties, birthday parties, consecration parties, all of this high mess highlighting and honoring them. Now, on the same token, if any man or woman who has been feeding you sound doctrine, yes, we we are to honor them in the work that they have done, not for the person in the flesh of who they are. Yes. Listen, anybody that blesses you with the true teachings of Jesus Christ, I say honor them. Amen. They are a true gift to the body of Christ because they ain't looking for recognition. They're not looking for the rising of their names. They are humbled. They are pointing you to the cross, getting us ready. Here we go. Getting us ready to meet the living God, telling you, stop sinning, repent. Get your stuff together before Jesus judges you. Okay. Ain't, ain't nothing wrong with, with having a dinner for For this person of God who has fed you the word of God in all of its truth. I'm talking about Wolfie who puts on a costume, a collar, a robe, and then gets to parading around in front of you as if you ain't nothing but a lowly sheep. Anyway, therefore, okay, because I tell you, I'm telling you, I can get off on a tangent. You want to know why? I, I hate church corruption. I hate sin. And so, but that's another lesson for another day. All of us, me too. We got to keep ourselves as focused on Christ as humanly possible. Make it your business to make him priority in your life. Folks, listen, we are all learning, but our goal is to strive for spiritual maturity. Therefore, we must be ready to meet him when he returns. If we are that generation that witnessed all these prophesied end times that Jesus spoke of before he went to the cross, 
We will be gathered to him in the air. I can't say it enough. We must be ready. All the while looking for him, longing for his return like a bride who sits by the lace-covered window in the morning, at noon, in the evening, throughout the watches of the night, looking in eager expectation for her bridegroom. She keeps herself ready. Her lamp is full of oil. As she goes about her daily life, her consciousness is on her bridegroom and his soon coming. She doesn't let anything distract her from her readiness. She knows not the hour of his return, but she does know he is in fact coming at an hour that will take many and most by surprise. But she is not surprised. For he had been telling her to be ready for him, to purify herself, to keep herself clean and pure, so that when he returns, he find her spotless and blameless. Now, blameless. Amen. So, let us take a look at the parable of the ten virgins. Matthew 25. Starting in verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, thoughtless, silly, and careless. And five were wise, far-sighted, practical, and sensible. For when the foolish took their lamps, they did not take any extra oil with them, but the wise took flask of oil along with their lamps. Now, while the bridegroom was delayed, they all began to nod off and they fell asleep. But at midnight, there was a shout, look. The bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins got up and put their own lamps in order, trimmed the wicks, and added oil and lit them. But the foolish virgins said to the wise, Give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the wise, verse 9, but the wise replied, No, otherwise there will not be enough for us and for you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy oil for yourselves. But while they were going away to, verse 10, but while they were going away to buy oil, the bridegroom came and those who were ready those who were ready, those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast and the door was shut and locked. Later, the others also came and said, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he replied, I assure you, and most solemnly say to you, I do not know you. We have no relationship. Folks, listen. Are we not hearing what the Lord is saying? 
I assure you and most solemnly say to you, I do not know you. We have no relationship. According to them, they thought they had a relationship. Just right, Holy Spirit, just because they carried the lamp. That's not being ready. You know the lamp needs oil. You know that wick got to be uh, trimmed. What you doing? Well, I got the lamp. Okay, well, what good is the lamp? If there's no oil, do you not know? It is dark outside. You're going to need this light and have the oil that goes along with it. How you even ran out of oil in the first place? What you doing with your life that when Christ returns, you ain't ready? But I go to church. What that got to do with... The fact that once you come home from church, you are still living with your living lover. Talking about, well, we're just waiting for the right time. To do what? To get married. Okay, but in the meantime, you're still having fornication, right? Well, the Lord knows my heart. Yeah, he does know it. And he will judge you. For all of that fornication and lust and sex that's coming out of it. Folks, what good is it that you have a lamp, but then there's no oil. Then at the last minute, when you know he's coming, now you want to run off and get your life right. We don't have that kind of time. Because he's coming in an instant. You're not going to have time to repent while, while you are in the throes of fornicating. In that moment, you ain't thinking about Christ's return. You are thinking about something a whole lot different. Okay? Because some people are like, well, yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm going to have enough time. You know, I'm going to do a, a, death, a deathbed confession. Really? I wouldn't bank on that. Okay? So, back over here. What did it say? Verse 11. Later, the others also came and said, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he replied, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, I do not know you. We have no relationship. Therefore, okay, verse 13, after what we just heard the Lord say, say, the next verse is therefore, meaning, don't you see what just had happened? Okay, therefore, be on the alert. Be prepared and ready for you do not know the day nor the hour when the son of man will come. Amen. Folks, listen. The overall and easily seen thrust of this parable is that Christ will return at an unknown hour and that his people must be ready. Being ready means preparing for whatever contingency arises in our lives and keeping our eyes fixed 
on Jesus at all times while we eagerly await his coming. As seen in the fact that all the virgins were were sleeping when the call came indicates that it doesn't matter what we are doing when Christ returns. We may be working, eating, sleeping, or pursuing leisure activities. Whatever it is, we must be doing it in such a way that we that we don't have to make things right. Like what? Get more oil. Uh-uh. When he comes. Nope. Folks, in closing. Okay. The, the five virgins who have who have the extra oil represent the truly born again follower of the Lord Jesus Christ who are looking with eagerness eagerness to the coming of Christ they have saving faith and have determined that whatever occurs be it lengthy time or adverse circumstances when Jesus returns they will be looking with eagerness the five virgins without the oil represents false believers who enjoy the benefits of the Christian community without true <coughs> excuse me without true love for Christ they are more concerned about the party than than about longing to see the bridegroom their hope is that their association with true believers by saying in verse 8 remember give us some of your oil their hope is that their association with true believers will bring them into the kingdom at the end. This, of course, is never the case. One person's faith in Jesus cannot save another. The Lord, Lord, and the I do not know you of verses 11 and 12 fit very well with Jesus' condemnation of the false believers of Matthew 7, 21 to 23, when he said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, here we go, because these false prophets love to talk about their works. So on judgment day, here they are bringing up what they have done, thinking their works is what going to get them into the kingdom. Well, Lord, well, they said, what it says here, uh-huh, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Amen. So for all of their good 
of works and ministry, but these people were in sin. Okay, Jesus knows the heart. He sees everything and he is recording everything. And these people think that their works and ministry is what going is what is going to automatically get them into the kingdom. Listen, folks, I don't care who you are, where you are from. You cannot be in lawlessness, practicing sin as a lifestyle, and then want to claim on judgment day, Lord, Lord. Oh, so now he's Lord, Lord. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, no. Those good works will not get you into the kingdom. So... In closing, right? I don't know if I had said in closing, but in closing, I'm going to give us a few more scriptures about being prepared because, folks, the time is short. Now, what it says, wait, wait, can I, can I open this up? Nope. Okay. Now is the time and the hour to awake from our sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Amen. Look, we got Hosea 10, 12. So, S-O-W, so with a view to righteousness, reap in accordance with kindness. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes to rain righteousness on you. Amen. Folks, again, these are scriptures about us being prepared. What we are to be doing in the meantime, in between time, before Christ comes. Whether we be that generation that sees him crack open up that firmament or we go by the way of the grave. No matter what we are doing. Because we must consider our ways. No matter what we are doing. Good or bad. Christ is coming nonetheless. Hosea is saying. To sow with a view to righteousness. And then we have. Matthew, well, already gave us Matthew 24, but it bears repeating. Matthew 24, 42 to 43, therefore be on the alert. For you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. Amen. What else we got? Mark 13, 33 to 37. Um, here we go. Take heed. Keep on the alert. Folks, why are these scriptures telling us to keep on alert is telling us for a reason. Christ is coming back in flaming fire, taking vengeance. We cannot be deceived to think that we can live life 
any kind of way, no matter what, and still get to go to heaven. We got to be on high alert, just like with any soldier. They may be on downtime until they get the call. Suit up. Get ready. We're heading out to war. So what if this this soldier who was supposed to be on high alert that any moment the call can come from the president and say mount up. But then he's off at Disneyland somewhere on, up on the the tallest roller coaster eating a box of donuts when the call comes no 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 Mm -mm. you got to stay ready with your boots in hand thank you holy spirit at a moment's notice think about it right think about a fireman at the firehouse right not every second is there a fire that needs to be put out there will be some moments where they just hanging out at the firehouse, maybe eating, maybe playing cards. But once that bell gets to ringing, all they got to do is slide down the pole. These people have their uniforms literally positioned where all they do is slip in, slip them boots off and slide down the pole. They ain't got to look for the jacket. They don't have to look for those those heavy padded pants somewhere in the um, laundry somewhere. No, at a moment's notice. And they sleep with one eye open. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for that analogy. You got to walk this earth. Whether you are sleeping or you are about your business, it got to be with one eye open. That mentality that any minute, once we hear that trumpet, once we hear the shout of the archangel, go out and look up for your redemption is nigh. What's going to happen when the angel starts calling us by name and you down booty shaking at the club? Yeah, well, Mark 13, 33 to 37. Take heed, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. It is like a man away on a journey who upon leaving his house and put and putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his task. Okay, because we all have been given a task. Also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Therefore, be on the alert. He's saying it twice. For you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep. What I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. Amen. Father, in the name of Christ Jesus, Mark 13 cannot be any clearer. The Lord is telling us, be on the alert. He tells us over here in Luke 12, 
35 to 38. Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knock. Father, we got to be on the alert at all times, praying that we may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. That's Luke 21, 36. Father, we are so eagerly looking forward to this day and we will and we shall heed the warning, the instruction of our Lord to be on alert, to look for him, to be ready because we don't want to be found blameful when he returns. We don't want to be found shameful when he returns. Have mercy on us all, Father. Give us grace and the strength and the wherewithal to remain faithful, to remain watchful, and to be ever ready. For at an hour we don't know, Christ will come back like lightning flashes across the sky, and every eye will see him. Bless your holy name, Father. Thank you. Thank you for this time that we have, that we can, we can get it right. You have given us grace today, air to breathe, so that we can use this brain you have given us to come to our senses as we ought to and stop sinning. Bless you, Father. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Glory be to the most high God. Amen. Both now and forevermore. Even so, come Lord. Come Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, folks. Repent and believe. <clears throat> Yo, I got to go. I got to go. I need some water. <clears throat> I need to gargle something. But listen, beloved, live clean, be holy, consider all your ways before the Lord, and whatever you do, depart from bad company, come out of these apostate churches, stay out of sin, keep your eyes and ears on the ground, Christ is soon coming, judgment day is coming, are you prepared. Think about that today. And Lord willing, until next time, I shall be speaking to you all soon. Bye for now. I love you all. Thank you guys for tuning in. I truly appreciate all your support. Until next time, I'll be talking to y'all soon. Bye.